Kia ora and welcome. This is the New Zealand Wine Podcast. I'm Boris Lamont. Thanks for joining us in this episode where we're speaking with Sir Graham Avery from Cellini Estates, who are in the Hawke's Bay on the east coast of New Zealand. We're speaking with Sir Graham about his involvement in sport and business, including the wine business. If you'd like to find out more about Cellini Estates, just look them up online. That's S-I-L-E-N-I.co.nz or check out the New Zealand Wine Podcast on podcast.nz. But right now, let's have a chat with Sue Graham. So welcome. So here we are at the Millennium Institute in Auckland with uh, Sir Graham Avery. Uh, Sir Graham, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. And I think it's uh, probably quite an apt place for us to be sitting, given your involvement in, in sport as well in New Zealand. So perhaps um, maybe that's a good place to start. Sport's obviously been a, a big part of your life for a long time. And, you know, the involvement here with the Millennium Institute is, is, is the current part, but there's a lot more of that in your history with sport. Yes, uh, there is. I've sort of started as a uh, secondary school athlete uh, and uh, in track and field and rugby and sort of that led to a, a brief stint of first grade rugby in, in Sydney when I first started my former health publishing business but it became all-consuming and... Uh, I sort of reverted from there to coaching and administration and building a a strong children's club into amalgamation with uh, a small senior club here on the North Shore in Auckland and that became more and more successful and the club outgrew the facilities that it had. We'd made a a huge commitment to developing coaches uh, and volunteer officials within the club Uh, and to cut a long story short the senior athletes who had achieved excellence at a national level and some of them at, at commonwealth and games and higher level just needed something better so that led to uh, a most successful capital fundraising campaign to build the stadium on scrub land at the back of Rangitoto College. It was the first private uh, facility on Department of Education land, the first so-called licence to occupy in the country, and was very, very successful. And then the calibre of of the club and the athletes grew and uh, I felt they they needed more uh, because the countries, uh, certainly in the USA, Australia and, and Europe had much better support structures behind them with sports science and sports medicine and better training facilities and that led to the vision of what is today AUT Millennium Institute of Sport, uh, now the National High Performance Training Centre. We've just completed a build for the National Aquatic Centre and it is a unique facility in the world in the sense that not only are there multiple sports using and and, uh, the senior athletes uh, internationally 
uh, carded athletes through our High Performance Sport New Zealand program training here uh, with their coaches, but all the support services are here through sports science, sports medicine, nutrition, sports psychology, conditioning and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the unique part has two levels in the sense that AUT University, their postgraduate teaching and research in the sports sciences is based here, AUT University um, public health, particularly nutrition and community well-being uh, program support is, is also based here. And then uh, we have tens of thousands of school pupils who come through and, and use the, the two Olympic-sized pools, the, the athletic track, the indoor sports hall, the New Zealand's leading clubs in, in athletics, water polo, swimming, uh, weightlifting are based here, and the precinct also covers Rangitoto College. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an incredible uh, facility in that sense and an amazing place uh, for all of the staff to work and interact with each other. And we're now starting to see world-leading uh, research and sports performance support programs emerge from it. And uh, staff wanting to come uh, for High Performance Sport New Zealand or AUT, University Sports Science Programs. So it's very, very rewarding. And I now want to sort of do the same thing uh, on a much smaller scale to support provincial New Zealand uh, high performance sport development and talent development in Hawke's Bay. Mm. It's, a, it's a, certainly a very impressive complex and um, coming here for the first time, uh, have seen it up on the hill driving by, but certainly did not appreciate the complexity and the range of activities that, that were going on here. And you're obviously someone uh, who has vision uh, in lots of different areas, but also someone who can bring that vision to pass, make, make things happen. So, um, you know, going back to the um, uh, successful publishing business, I mean, you obviously saw saw an opportunity there, a business opportunity, and were able to make that happen and bring that about into um, a, obviously a, a successful business as well. So, what what is it about that sport that appeals to you? You know, is is there something common across sport and business, and even establishing a a vineyard down in in the Hawkes Bay, Selenia State? Well, there is. Um, and high-performance sport uh, is all about uh, continuous improvement and never being satisfied with wherever you're at uh, and being the best that you can be. And a successful business uh, certainly has to uh, commit to, to those same principles Tomorrow, as I say to staff uh, at, at Selene and, and also here at AUT Millennium Institute, uh, tomorrow is going to be very, very different and, and success will be all about new and different thinking. 
uh, and certainly uh, that will apply to innovation. So uh, whether it's the die-hard old uh, programs that amateur sports clubs roll out, uh, what they're doing today will not be appropriate for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, high-performance sports development the leading edge stuff today will need to be much, much better tomorrow. And to make those small incremental gains and you never get quantum leaps, it's a bit like pharmaceutical research. There's very few new drug discoveries that happen just like that. They come from incremental gains, modifications of existing compounds largely um, occasionally there are new lines of research and and it's no different with um, improving existing high performance sports programs and and that's the exciting thing and it's the same with business you you've always got to be thinking about the future the business environment in which you operate and how that's changing and what are the factors that lead to those changes um, and sport is is no different where mm. where can you get the gains and of course the coach is critically important but the coach often is only as good as all of the support behind it and and uh, I think you have seen that with with the success of the all blacks in in this last world cup mm-hmm. campaign and and they can improve more and in my candid opinion, they'd be even better if they used and trained at a multi-sport facility like AUT Millennium <laughs> and, and saw what other sports people were doing and learned from them. Uh, and they do consult with um, uh, other professional teams, but they illustrate setting a goal, making those continuous improvements and everyone being on the same page and tweaking everything that they did just to be ahead of the rest. Now, the challenge to them is, is to make that those next-level innovations. Mm. And it's no different in, in business. In, in my former business, uh, we... Or I saw what the new needs for um, the the physician was going to be, what the pharmaceutical industry research people needed, and uh, we had access to all of the new scientific knowledge. In fact, we created it and and could see all of those trends emerging, and everything we did, every specialty publication or database we produced was the first in its field so we we occupied that position that that sort of so-called first entry with a product like wine it's very much more difficult because the the liquid in the bottle uh, has to be of very high standard to even be considered by a consumer or a gatekeeper at a a retailer, so it's all the other things you do around that that are different mm-hmm. uh, to be successful, and that may be packaging, that may be preparing uh, novel uh, blended products, 
or the way you go about uh, securing your business. And uh, we don't sell wine. Uh, That is a given. We uh, are there to help our key customers grow. So we need to understand what their business needs are and then provide a a business solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you do that with your your top customers, they take you into confidence and will exchange what their strategic thinking is for the future. They then need to know what your own new product development program is going to be, which is exactly what I used to do at um, ADIS International. We we worked, you know, five, sometimes ten years ahead of a, a major new pharmaceutical product introduction on a world market, and that meant we were dealing with huge amounts of, of confidential information that they had complete trust in us uh, because if we disclosed that, well, then we'd be out of business. Um, mm. But the key point was that, that that we were working with the scientific data to fit the the science that they wanted to communicate to investigators or regulatory authorities, and eventually the the prescribing. Position. So it was all not about the the skill of, of of writing text or evaluating text, but the actual final benefit solution that um, that, people, that you provided. People, yeah. And and um, you know some of our uh, R and D lines of research uh, evaluation projects, we rated the degree of innovation, for example, and that helped uh, the bigger pharmaceutical companies confirm or, or, or reject what their own lines of research were, and oftentimes they might can a complete line of bench research because they're going down the, the wrong, right. wrong lines. Right. So, so it sounds that, like it's the same with high-performance sport. Yep. You... you find out directly or indirectly what others are doing and you never tell them what you're doing, you give them a false <laughs> lead uh, and you just have to be thinking differently to keep ahead. Yeah. And, and the sports in New Zealand that um, do best are those who've committed to a single centre of excellence for their sport uh, and rowing, now bike, uh, yachting, of course, is largely based he- here in Auckland, out on on the the, the, the North Shore. Um, but some of the other sports are all splintered, uh, and you just don't get that concentration. And an international sports person can't afford to fail in front of his peers. Uh, and that is one of the, the great factors that influence success in those centralised systems. And the regions have to understand that and develop their talent to the level where they need to move on to uh, a more advanced or more knowledgeable uh, level of coaching and support. And, and some of those coaches can eventually you know, have careers in the, the, the national system. Hmm. 
And so businesses are, are, are kind of no different in, in that sense. No, how, no. How they so it sounds like you're saying that you know across all those areas you've been involved with, it's a it's a, a passion to be the best um, and to be successful, but and also then to have a, a vision to be able to innovate, and then also to be able to carry out that innovation to put it into practice. Yeah, that's right. And and the other aspect is to set a challenge. Uh, uh, because that drives a business, um, and at Adis, I always used to set seemingly impossible targets right. that a highly motivated staff would always respond to. Yeah, and sometimes our best new products came with a very very short. Uh, gestation period and those where we gave ourselves too much time they just dragged on and on and yeah. you kind of lost momentum yeah. and the task will always fill up the time yeah and I'll, I'll never forget the time when there was an opportunity to bring Carl Lewis out here we had six weeks to put that meeting mm. together mm. Uh and it was just astonishing to to see how everyone rallied around and and again, that's what Steve Hansen did with the All Blacks, uh, set them a challenge. Uh, and you have to have that. And, and, um, and improvement is one of them. And, and a, a winning goal is another. Mm. And how you, you might not ha- know how you're going to get there at the beginning, but if everyone commits to that same goal and is all pulling in, in the same direction, you'll always get there. Mm. And um, you know, coming across to, to Cellini, you can certainly see that innovation, I think, in your product range. Um, you have some products there that or you, you certainly have a, a broad range of varietals uh, that you produce and, and you bottle, and also a range of, um, for example, the sparkling wines and quite a different few varietals that you use for, for your sparkling range. And then you've also got the um, smaller bottles that you're the bringing out. I think they're called the, the Nanos, are they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, for wine, uh, and we decided that, uh, rightly or wrongly, the scale that we needed or that I wanted to get to, the challenge that I set myself um, would be such that we had to export most of our production. I enjoyed Mm. export market development. I've travelled six to nine months of the year for 50-odd years and uh, I enjoy that. And you are now one of the sort of in, in the top, aren't you, for New Zealand? Yeah, we're one of the, the. We're in eighty-one different uh, countries mm. today across Europe, the Americas, mm. Asia, and 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 the Pacific. Um, it's certainly impressive, and it's not something you could do quickly, is it? It's no, it, taken, it takes time, yeah. and 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 you you've got to invest in in all the travel and the persistence. Uh, seeking out a, a appropriate uh, importers and along the way you grow out of some and, mm-hmm. and, and they have to be replaced. But we needed the, the classic varietals to be able to travel the waters of the world. Mm-hmm. So that meant the, the Bordeaux reds such as Merlot, Cabernet Franc yep. uh, and, 
and the burgundy varieties of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and mm-hmm. uh, we were late to embrace um, Sauvignon Blanc. Initially, we we didn't want to. We kind of saw one day Sauvignon Blanc would kind of become a, a commodity, uh, which it has, but all wine now is, frankly. Um, uh, of course, there's, there's the tiny fraction of, of fine wine that, that will remain, but the average consumer is only prepared to pay a, uh, the price that they need to. And, and all wine at the price points that New Zealand competes in is high-quality product. But we realised that we'd made a, uh, a, an error of, of judgment and, and we needed Sauvignon Blanc as our calling card. Mm. It, it, uh, it, was that because of the expectation that you were from New Zealand that you should have a Sauvignon Blanc? Or? Well, yes, it was. And while we had initial success, we used Semillon, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Bordeaux uh, white, a wonderful wine, um, ages extremely well, changes its character, uh, a great food-friendly uh, mm-hmm. wine, but hard to sell because the average consumer just does not know it mm-hmm. and it didn't have the... The, the powerful aromatic characteristics uh, that Sauvignon Blanc has, particularly the more assertive Marlborough-style mm-hmm. Sauvignon. And so we realised 0204 we had to embrace that and would be far bigger today had we started with Marlborough Sauvignon in 1988. Sure. We'd be one million, one and a half million cases plus mm today had we started because we never had sufficient supply until really no six oh eight. Mm-hmm. However, in all spheres, whether it's high performance sport or business, you, you make mistakes. Sure. And you've always got to be prepared to do that as long as they're small ones and you, you learn from them. Be able to see them and acknowledge yeah. them and do something about it. Yeah. yeah. But um my change when I, I sold ADIS, I, I wanted to do something different. Mm-hmm. And through the 80s and, and 90s, Europe was the best market for our, our, our periodicals and review journals with the international libraries, the medical school, schools and the, and the knowledge databases for the pharmaceutical industry. It was similarly in Europe. And Milan in northern Italy near the Piemonte wine district was our best office. The next best was was Paris and right. in France. Frankfurt was sort of okay. And, and then towards the end, Madrid and Spain uh, got stronger and stronger and mm-hmm. That gave me uh, a wonderful insight into the so-called old world food and wine regions. Yep. And um, during this time when my wife and I shifted from Wellington to Auckland in the mid-60s, we 
sort of did the usual thing you do in Auckland and go out West Auckland around the wineries. Most of the wine then was not that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ross and Bill Spence, who, who founded Matua Valley Wines, were just starting then. And Ross uh, was producing some wonderful wines. In fact, he grew the first Sauvignon Blanc in New Zealand. Okay. doesn't really get credit for right. it. Pinot Blanc and and um, some other white varieties, and it was really Ross who who introduced my wife Gabby and I to decent New Zealand wine. And today, Ross actually sits on the Cellini board okay. after he sold Matura, so the circle has yeah, kind of gone round. Yeah. But so I'd already had that interest in wine and I wanted to do something different that had an export orientation and when you sell a business that's been your only job uh, and a very real passion you can't plan a change and I miss Adis being at the cutting edge of of creation of of new knowledge Mm -hmm. Uh, an incredible uh, staff uh, we had here and and internationally, uh, but you need to move on. So I knew of Grant Edmonds, who is chief winemaker. Uh, his older brother had worked for me for twenty five years, and Grant used to write a uh, an article uh, for GPs in one of our publications about wine. So I knew Grant and rang him up one day and said, you know, how about uh, a vineyard? I found a nice north-facing slope in Pawanui where we had a holiday home and Grant in his usual droll, dry way said, I can think of plenty of better places to come down and have a chat. (laughs) And he was in Hawke's Bay. Not the Coromandel. Not the Coromandel, too wet. Uh, suffice it to say that <laughs> there are a couple of yes. vineyards up there, and uh, but it, it's just too humid. So that's where we'll leave part one of our conversation with Sir Graham Avery. Be sure to check in for part two. If you need to find out anything further, just check out the New Zealand Wine podcast online. Hey, corner mai. Bye for now.